Welcome to No Laughing Matter with Cuba Pete, a show that takes a critical look at the disparities between medical school education and society's growing healthcare inequities. Join Dr. Pedro Cuba Pete Greer each episode as he interviews the experts working to transform medical education and ensuring that future doctors are trained to provide equitable and compassionate health care for all communities. Dr. Greer received the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2009, honoring his dedication to providing health care to underserved populations. As Dean of Roseman University College of Medicine in Las Vegas, Dr. Greer is committed to creating a medical school of the future where students embrace the need to unite the heart and science of healthcare. And now, the host of No Laughing Matter with Cuba Pete, Dr. Pedro Cuba Pete Greer. Live from Studio A in Las Vegas. Unless you're watching this recorded, then it's not live, but it is right now. Hi, it's uh, Cuba Pete. I'm uh, Pedro Jose Greer. They call me Joe. I'm the dean at the... Uh, Roseman University College of Medicine, which we're hoping to be opening in our doors in the next uh, couple years, uh, to start a really different medical school. A medical school that improves the disparities in their communities and gets doctors from their communities. The, the podcast itself is the intersection of society and healthcare and society and what do we need to do differently as medical educators to prepare the future workforce, to make sure that they can go out there and do what they need to do. And, to say the least, my profession is fraught with problems, all the way through structural ones to other ones that appear as we go along. But on this podcast, we have some of the most amazing people you could ever meet. And this is a homegrown one, not homeborn, but homegrown, as he originally comes from Tallulah, uh, Louisiana, of which, by the way, we've had a guest here before, which is also from that small town. We're finding out that there's a lot of folks from Tallulah, Louisiana, yeah. and Vegas. <clears throat> That was one of the reasons why I wanted to go and check the place out because there is a lot of people that migrated here from Tallulah and it's like how you would think it's this big place that got all of these people <laughs> and so forth and so on. And, and it's like it's completely different from what you would think because there are quite a few people in Las Vegas from Tallulah. Actually, Tallulah, the name itself, is bigger than the town, isn't it? It is. Exactly. <laughs> so, yes, it is. Now, you're, you're, uh, you came out here actually before the big migration of African Americans from the South. I hear that was with the uh, magnesium plant, correct? Yeah. The, and for the, those that are, are not familiar with it, Henderson was the home of the largest magnesium plant during the Second World War. That's correct. And actually, Digni, Dignity Hospital System used to be the magnesium's hospital, and the nuns bought it for a buck. Uh, so uh, yeah. that was interesting. But af, uh, upon graduating from uh, high school, actually, when you were in high school as a child here, and I was reading about this, that, about, that you, uh, so you had some stories about working in a bowling alley? Oh, well, but the, all <laughs> those were things that, you know, <clears throat> one of the things about the history of what's considered to be now, they call it historic West Side community, where, you, where I actually grew up, you know, went to, to the school that is now on the historic register. Oh, yeah, uh, Fifth Street. Yeah. No, no, no. no, no. Uh, I've been to the building. It's beautiful. They restored it quite nicely. Yeah, they restored it. <clears throat> and then went to Madison. 
uh, and back then, you know, you went, if you lived in that's kind of uh, historic West Side area, you, there was only three high schools back in the day. There was no junior high, so you went from uh, West Side, that, that was the elementary school, to Las Vegas High, which, I mean, to Madison, which was the elementary school, and you went from Madison from the third grade to the ninth grade. And then you went to either Vegas or Rancho based on where you lived at in the area. So, but <clears throat> when, as you, as you, you know, when you're growing up in, in that historic West Side area, uh, a lot of people don't realize that uh, that actually was the, where the town was at that point. Uh, like for example, you know, I had to probably would come up, I may be getting in front of you, but I, uh, I bought what was called the Golden West Shopping Center, which was actually the largest shopping center built in Southern Nevada in 1964. Then they built the Boulevard Mall. So that kind of show you how. So, but you're the original owner of the largest shopping center, and yeah, and, as an African American. And, and I heard you yeah. did very well when you sold it. I did. Uh, I did very well. Uh, it, let, let me it, put it, it to you this way: it's better than the lottery. Well, you know, <laughs> no, I don't know about better than the lottery, but you, but, but see, <clears throat> you know, there was some a bunch of sacrifices down the road, like. You know, we'll probably get into, you know, me being the first African-American black rat dealer. Well, I had to, <clears throat> there was a point to where I had, I walked away from Caesars, and you don't walk away right. from a Baccarat dealing job yeah. at Caesars. I, I, I know that because my then. cousin was one. So. Not then, <laughs> uh, back in the day. Um, but I did be, because it came a point to where uh, <clears throat> once I had, purchased the Golden West Shopping Center, that uh, it came down to where I needed to, you know, I, a couple years I purchased it and trying to deal back around, you know, to support myself because the shopping center couldn't do it. Uh, but it came a point to where I had to choose between continuing to be a Baccarat dealer, which was a very good job. I was gonna say with a guaranteed Lucrative. Oh position. yeah. Uh, every you know, a background dealer. Uh, you is in on the tokes. You, the salary wasn't hardly anything. Right. But you're in on the tokes seven days, twenty four hours a day. So that means that on your days off, on your vacations, if you call in sick, you are still in on whatever tokes that was made that day. That's what made it such and, a great job. And Rock's a big money game, so th those are generally very nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you, you really had mostly, well, you had high-end players because they, uh, um, you know, I don't, see, I hate to really kind of go into, because, you know, let's say you mentioned Bacra as a, as a high-end game. Well, when I was hired, uh, and I was hired, uh, for a reason, because the person that hired me had a different alternative for Baccarat, and he came in with a $5 Baccarat buy-in, 
because most places was a hundred dollar buying. Right. Okay. And this is in the sixties. And this was in the seventies, the early seventies, okay. like seventy one, seventy two. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, uh, the person that hired me the, had other alternatives. And and the person that hired you was was a very well known figure here, worldwide actually. Well, you know, if uh, do. Uh, I gotta you, say it. It was, you speak? It was Frank Rosenthal. <laughs> okay, correct. let's just say it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it was Frank Rosenthal. And uh, there's so many stories on things that, you know, if you've seen the movie Casino, uh, a lot of that, uh, the stuff that kind of went on between him and, um, uh, what was his name? Uh, uh, that Joe, Pe Joe Pesci. Yeah, Spilantro? Spilantro. The things that happened between him and Spilantro, things now, that happened it, on the table. It's a sad comment that I know the names of the mob, okay? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but anyways. <laughs> you know, a lot of that kind of went on and, and was in, you know, in, in view of everybody. Well, the Baccarat crew and, and the people that was in the Baccarat, you know. But there was some, there, but it was, it, was, it was a good time. It was a good time. It's it, it's interesting. My family's originally well, from not originally, but prior to coming to the United States from Cuba, because when the Americans got involved at the end of the war, on both sides of my family, one was from Charleston, the other one from Dalton, Georgia, they stayed in Cuba. Yeah. They they met women from the Canary Islands or from Cuba itself, and uh, the 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 competitor to Las Vegas at the time was Havana in the fifties in gambling, and but Cuba was so corrupt that when the mob came down and took over the most prestigious casino, Momutni, <laughs> the story is they actually cleaned up the casino. <laughs> now, nobody can imagine the mob cleaning up, but they did a good job. They still skimmed off the top, but <laughs> we didn't want to take that away from them. <laughs> no, and you know, there was things that, uh, a story for example, uh, you know, we, when Frank put the Baccarat in the Stardust, okay, uh, he, he hired seven Baccarat dealers. Um, I was actually the last guy hired, uh, but the, he, in, none of us was over 25 years old. None of the Baccarat dealers had any prior gaming experience. Now, when you look back on that, there was a reason why none of us was had any gaming experience, and we were all young. Because let's say he didn't bought he gonna put in this baccarat for a purpose, and if let's say the people that's running the game, if we knew uh, about the gaming, about the gaming control board, about the, you know different things that could happen, then <coughs> we know too much. Right. So, you know, that was one thing that he did up front was to make sure that the dealers only knew and did what he wanted you to do. But there was a very important incident that happened in the late 1960s here, and that was the riots in the historic West Side where the, the, a lot of people are not aware of this. So I think there was three entrances into the historic West Side, and the National Guard blocked them. Yeah. Um, and also, your shopping center was affected by the riots, wasn't mm -hmm. it? Yeah, the Golden West Shopping Center. It was uh, there was it was 
partially burnt down, uh, and uh, it did affect the, the riots. The riots did affect that side of town, actually, that hasn't, and this was in 65, 66. Uh, it might have the assassination of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, and uh, the area really has never bounced back uh, to what it was to any, to just a minute portion of what it used to be. Um, you had mentioned earlier about, uh, you know, me, me uh, doing uh, pins in the bowling alley. Well, the bowling alley was called the Cotton Bowl. Uh, but that was just one of the commodities that was in that west side area. For example, the bowling alley, which was on Jackson Street, and on Jackson Street, there were three hotels, <coughs> the Carver House, the Jackson Hotel, and the Emerald Hotel, all on Jackson Street and the Cotton Bowl, um, and, you know, Mom's Kitchen and Pool Hall and, and all of those things. So, the, you know, there was a, a lot of excitement in the area back in the day and that uh, the, the riot and then, you know, once integration was kind of open to all, you know, live anywhere and so forth and so on. It just kind of... And, and you lost a lot of businesses and professionals that way. Everything. Everything really kind of changed from that point on. And um, interestingly, it's called the historic west side, although it's not west, but it was west of the railroad tracks. At that time, yeah. So it's that's why it was called... called well, that's why it was called the west side, because you figure on the other side between, yeah, well, of course... Uh, they say that in like most cities, uh, <clears throat> the same kind of thing happened that oh. separated minorities groups from the rest it, of the it, community. I'm from Florida, so you have uh, the uh, US-1 that runs up the coast. Okay. The segregation that occurred in the south with that was African Americans were not allowed to live east of it because that was oceanfront. Yeah. See, so and it's just... And, and, it was the same thing here, yeah. uh, you know, that you basically lived on the west side of the tracks. Uh, and, 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 and living there, and uh, you're this incredibly successful business individual that could right now sit back and just tell stories. Yeah. But you're still very involved in economic development. Correct. You're still very involved in really helping those that didn't have the opportunities before to get out there, and why do you do that? You know, I, I think it's because, well, I, I think. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's because, you know, like, it, to grow up in Las Vegas and back then was really uh, a joyful time. I mean, you know, like the, uh, the fact that, you know, a lot of people when they ask about, you know, whether or not, uh, how was the prejudice, and did you, you know, how was, uh, you know, how was you treated by, you know, like uh, non-whites and so forth and so on? Well, we didn't have really that, that any kind of bad treatment or anything. I never seen any prejudice or anything, but of course it was all around, and then the, the results of how the town has grown really speaks for itself. But growing up in that little west side area that 
everything you needed was right there. You had the stores, you had the shopping, you had the casinos, you had the hotels, you know, and you keep in mind what, we had a population of, of maybe 200,000 people and 75,000 people that lived in that area. So although, you know, I was too young to realize that people like Sammy Davis Jr. and the rest, uh, you know, the all of the entertainers, they could only perform on the strip and they couldn't live on the strip. So they lived over in that side of town. And there's a couple of places that, that they lived and, and, and you know, like you had like your bowling alley, you had your, your restaurants and so forth and so on. And so you would, as a young man, as a young boy at that time, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, you, this is, you seen these right. people on a regular a basis. Of, I know that in South Florida when they were performing Miami Beach, Sammy Davis Jr. was not allowed to stay in Miami Beach, so he had to stay what they called overtown. So he went over the bridge into the mainland, and it was mm -hmm. an African-American community. But a lot of the great entertainers would come with him and perform after their shows in those communities. And I'm wondering if they were doing the same thing here in... Uh, yeah, they did. Did uh, they really? The Town Tavern, uh, the Louisiana Club, that's where all of your entertainers were all the time. Um, so, you know, I mean, of course, I'm a young man, a, a kid, and you know, it was like the, from let's say, the main strip, let's say, that Jackson Avenue, which was on Jackson, where I lived on Morgan, which was about four blocks away from there. So you walking up and down, and then you gotta think that um, the, whole, the, the whole valley at that time uh, you could just about walk from from downtown to once you get past Cary, it was all desert. And Cary, from let's say Jackson, is only about four blocks. Okay. So you know, it's like that was that was very little. The town was just beginning to. Which is not wasn't. huge. I mean, when I go out to the north and go visit the VA hospital, mm -hmm. and people ask me how far away is it, I said there's a sign that says "End of World, Two Miles." It's one mile past the sign, okay? And that's how far away it is. But I'll have you know that the Roseman and the College of Medicine were involved with uh, Councilman Cedric Creer and the city to build a wellness center on Jackson. Yeah, yeah, they... they um, and so that's us that's gonna be there, and then we have our Genesis team that goes right to the family's households to take care of them. So, and those things are gonna be really unique to some of the things that, you know, I'm doing, because, uh, you know, now I well, do. Well, what you're doing is essential, because what doctors do is take care of consequences. You got sick. Why did you get sick? Well, you might have lost your job or something of that nature. You can't afford your medicines and things of that nature. But the essence of what you're doing with economic development to train a future workforce, mm -hmm. to develop industries that can absorb them, and to give them a, a living wage that can take care of their families in perpetuity and, you know, is one of the most important aspects of society, period. Because if you got all the support you needed to get this done, we wouldn't need as many doctors as we need. Well, yeah, of course, that's true. Uh, and, and, and what Rosemond and Genesis is proposing in that area uh, will just, will just actually just kind of bring the area back uh, to, a, to a place where you would really would, would mind, you know, 
living, working, enjoying the uh, the fruits of that community. And you know, last month was uh, Black History Month, mm -hmm. and we went over to the museum to see the display they had on Paul Revere Williams was his name, the you architect. To, you. Uh, well, you went to Legacy Park, or you went to... No, the one that's over there by the preserves. Oh, yeah, 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 right. And he had designed... Nobody had designed a home in the historic West Side. He designed like 150 of them. Right, yeah. And he also did, if you go to the Neon Museum, the lobby is the old Concha Hotel, which he did. And he also did the Catholic Church that's on the Strip. That I think oh, it was yeah, Frank yeah. Rosenthal right. that had it built yeah. for his employees. And, and it's amazing the architecture in there, because if you look at the stained glass, it's all workers in casinos. Yeah. So it, it, it's, it, it's, it's an amazing history. It's individuals such as you, and by the way, uh, Paul Revere Williams was the very first African-American architect, architect in all of the West. And we're talking, this is the 1930s, and there's a quote from him saying, because he built homes for movie stars and producers, that he will never be allowed to live in the neighborhoods where he designs the homes. And that's a very sad comment in our society. But having said that, your parents must have been incredible to bring you up so happily <laughs> with all the well, things that they probably had to deal with, which, you know. Yeah, but, you know, because, and my parents was just, uh, um, I had two household parents. Um, my my father, he, he was a, uh, uh, construction worker, he was a heavy equipment operator. Uh, so as a construction worker, you know, made decent money. And my mom, she was a, she was a maid at the Sands for a very long time until, you know, till I think she, after, I think I, I'm, I, we had, she had nine kids and I, I'm the fourth one down and I think after me, she really didn't, she kind of retired and just, you know, stayed home. And yeah, with well, four kids, I think that's what you live, you know. <laughs> that's not quite retiring. Yeah, but keep in mind, she had five more after that. <laughs> she had five more. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, you know, like I say, I think a lot of it had to do with the, the fact that Las Vegas was such a small town at the time. That area was such a small area. Uh, that, uh, you know, you had no problem kind of, you know, because you got the schools, you got the elementary schools, you got the junior high schools, you had uh, what was called um, uh, Jefferson Recreation Center, and um, Marcus Haynes, who was a member of the Globetrotters, I think. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, ran uh, what was called the Jefferson Recreation Center, which was where big uh, Jefferson uh, swimming pool, you know, you had the bumper pool. So, so you know, I mean, in other words, we had as young you, you people, had you had it all right there. And, you know, and then, uh, like I say, you know, how I got involved into the, the economic development and the, the development aspect, uh, when I got back from, when I graduated from college, and I, you know, and I thought about, you know, last night, one of the key aspects of uh, what happens to one and how their life changed as they begin to grow, 
and let's say that they got one thing in mind, but they end up life becoming something completely different. Like, for example, for, with me, my old man was a heavy equipment operator. Vegas, like it is now, is very hot in the summertime, and it gets cold in the wintertime. And he worked outside. Uh, my older brother, he worked in the hotel in, in like, the kitchen area, you know. And we used to do, like, little extra help in the kitchen. Uh, they used to bring in us teenagers, and we would, like, uh, after they had conventions and stuff of that nature, we would clean the convention floors, take all the dishes and put them, take them in the back, and you run them through these conveyor belts. And you know, and one of the things you notice is like, these dishes don't break. I mean, you know, you put them in there, and, you know, compared to your dishes at home. But so as I was growing up, I had no idea what I was going to do because my dad was a construction worker, my mom was a maid. You know, we wasn't, ain't no putting the college fund together. And and then they, and they, and they both came from Tallulah, and they, you know, like, and, and back then, they was one generation from being slavery, and they, so therefore, you know, it's like they just wanted to earn a living. And they didn't have the intense racism that you get in the South. Exactly. So there was a couple of things. One, I don't want to work outside. <laughs> And I don't want to work in the kitchen. <laughs> I don't know what I want to do, but the, those are out. Okay. Those two things are out. So, <laughs> so as we went through the process of elimination. Exactly. <laughs> but so, so, so actually when I graduated from high school, um, they was looking for uh, a, a person that they called a, a, a trainee to work at Nevada test site. Okay. Uh, and so I go to the unemployment office. I, I, I'm, I'm actually 16. I graduated when I was 16. I turned 17 in July. So, you know, school's out in June. And I was a straight-A student. Yeah, you were the kind of guy that really made the rest of us mad. <laughs> you know, we're younger and smarter, so, you know, and always happy. So, so, when I, so when I go for this interview for this job, uh, you know, I remember the lady asking me, says, so, so why, does you, why do you think you should get the job? I went in my back pocket, pulled out my report card, <laughs> and I said, this is the reason why I should get the job, because I'm smart. <laughs> and I got hired. There okay? you go. Now, now you eventually did go to college in Seattle. Yeah, but what? See, right. so this is leading into that. Okay. So this is after high school. That summer, I got hired at to work at Nevada Test Site. Now, it, and what I basically was doing was, uh, when you go into the gates of the test site. You have like, and, and which, by the way, this is where they were testing atomic weapons. This correct? is where it was t uh, t uh, testing the atomic bombs. So I got a chance to to see uh, th they had these big, deep, deep, deep holes that they would dig where they set the bomb off, and they got these big, 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 humongous water tanks that after the bomb is set off. They dump these water tanks, in, which cool the bomb off. When you see that mushroom going yeah, up. Yeah, that's what it's from? 
Huh? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And which, by the way, Las Vegas embraced the test site. If you look at the advertisement in the 50s and 60s, it's all about that, that cloud. That, that cloud, uh, that mushroom, as they call it. With the dancers in front of it. And, <laughs> yeah. You know. yeah. So, so anyway, so now uh, in working up there, uh, right out of high school, and basically, you know, you, you, when I went to work, you, you, got what you, you got a red badge, a green badge, and a blue badge. A red badge, you can only go certain places on the test site. Green badge, you got better access, and the blue badge, you kind of can go all over. Okay, so I had a red badge. You know. But my job was basically, uh, had a, you had to be able to drive, so I did have a driver's license. And you start at the office, which is up in the front when you check in, but there was like maybe 50, 100 miles out in the site where they had the work actually going on that was uh, all geared towards the, the testing of the bomb, the construction worker that was building, digging the hole, making the trenches, you know, doing all other things. And my job basically was just to go around and and add up the timesheets, and then on Thursdays take the pay, take the go to each one of the sites, get the timesheets, take them up to the main office, which is up in front. They process the paycheck. The next morning when I come, I distribute, distribute them, go out to the various sites. <coughs> you know, it's like yeah, no, this is what I wouldn't mind doing. Right. You know, and then and you're you know, saying, I, I can't wait till they get air conditioning in the car. <laughs> 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 so I had to add up the, you know, like the time, the, the 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 times and so forth and so on, the day's work. You know, it's like yeah. So this was a form of accounting that then led me to where I wanted to become an accountant. And how did you choose Seattle? Well, how did I, so now that was only a summer job. Now come, uh, now that uh, that job was over with, you know, spent like three months up there doing that. I uh, go to our employment office, and they had, uh, they was looking for workers to go to work for Boeing's aircraft, you know. Oh. And so I, uh, I fill out an application, and it's like, okay, we, 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 you're hired. We're going to, you know, and we can pay subsistence pay to go there. We have your place to stay when you get there. We have all of the tools, equipment that you're going to need, and you got a job. So I convinced four guys, all of us that graduated from Vegas, to let's go to Seattle. Uh, and so we, we end up in Seattle, and I went to work for Boeing's Aircraft. Um, but when I got, got to Boeing's, and then the thing that they gave me was this toolbox with all of with these ribbons, with these rivet guns, with muffins, and so forth and so on. And I'm there for about a week or two, and I just got the job. You know, don't know anybody in Seattle. But it's like I go to the supervisor one day and said, you know, because that, mm, mm, that, you know, that bang, bang, bang. And it's like, you know, I said, sir, you know, you guys have tricked me up here. I'm from Las Vegas, you know. So what do you mean? I said, well, I put on my application that I wanted to, you know, to work like in accounting or something. I can't do this. This, this is killing my ears. I can't sleep at night. 
So, you know, it's like, you know, trick me up here, you know, and, and it's something that I can't do. So by the next week, they transferred me to, to Renton, to another part of Seattle, and now I was an exp expediter. So now all I, I had this, just, uh, you know, you got the, the golf cart-like truck, and you go around, uh, and you take, you go to these various parts on the plane, uh, and you you take parts. You know, they have, they need a part this, right. part that, part number, and you go to a VIN, and you get that, and you take it back to the site. And it's like, okay, I can do this. This is good. Um, and that's, you know, and that, that's how I then kind of furthered on my little education. But how I got to really get to college and get the degree and get all of that was one of the guys joined the Panther Party, the Black Panther Party, uh, Buddy Yakes. It was, him and I was really, really good friends. Uh, uh, him and I was going with the two sisters and so forth. So he now became a Black Panther Party. And they was like advocating jobs for people and so forth and so on. So there was this job that came through. They was interested in hiring someone as an accounting trainee at uh, Rainier Brewery, which was a brewing company. And I went there, filled out the application. Uh, not only did I get the job, but uh, they also sent me to school. Uh, I worked directly with the chief accountant, uh, and I was in charge of like the warehouse inventory at the time. And when I got there, let's say that the uh, the overs and shortages was thousands of dollars over and short, to where either the wrong product went to to. Boise or to South Seattle or the different, you know, because you had, it was a brewery, okay? So you got quartz, uh, 12 ounces, 16 ounce, you know, bottles, right. cans, all, you know, so, so the beer would, let's say, would be there, but it then went to different places, and, it, and there was a guy that was part of somebody's parents that just, he just didn't really have it, and, and so the 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 the, uh, in, the inventory would be over thousands of cans of this and under thousands of bottles of this and so forth and so on. And anyway, uh, be before it was over with, if a bottle was broken during the course of a 24-hour period, I know that that bottle was broken. That's how how I took it and put everything. And so, you know, it's like once I got in the office, once they had, now I'm working directly with the chief accountant, uh, with the, not the chief accountant, but with the uh, account, the, the manager of uh, accounting, accounting manager. I learned, now I'm going to school, and and then he's, I'm working, uh, going to school, I get out of school like at 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, come to work, work till 5, 6 o'clock in the evening. And, uh, and the guy that uh, was accounting manager just took me under his wings and, and taught me all about accounting, all about everything. So... Uh, that's like the old saying of uh, Mark Twain, never let your schooling interfere with your education. Yeah, yeah. 
You have such an amazing life. And more importantly than that, you radiate a spirit that's unbelievable. You do know I'm going to invite you to come down and speak with the students. The <laughs> students once we get them. Well, it's important. It's important how you see the, what makes you so resilient. What makes you so happy? What makes you be the one that says, I'm going to leave this really good paying job and go hang out at the supermarket, the, well, the, let's, the let's, shopping let's, center that I Let's take this a little farther. So okay. now, let's say, you know, okay, so Bowen, uh, things happen. This was had to have been in about 70 or uh, so to where um, now they're making this big major layoff, all right? Now, I do counts payable, counts receivable, payroll. I do everything in the office. I mean, I'm, uh, you know, you're young, right. you, you're resilient, you know, okay? Uh, and then I done graduated. And so the chief accountant, the, 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 the county manager was, was let go when things had slowed down at wow. Bowen, people ain't drinking as much beer now, beer sales are down, we gotta cut back staff, all right? So now they cut the county manager staff. But I'm doing all the work, you know, I mean, I'm right, doing so all I'm the work and get all, all the paperwork and, 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 and issue the report to the chief accountant who takes it now and give it to the, uh, the finance right. manager, okay? His report that you did. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> so let's say that they don't they don't let the county manager go, and but ain't nothing to stop because I'm doing it all anyway. Right. Okay. But now, um, I got this big old natural. <laughs> um, I uh, got a flair about me. Let's say. And, uh, well, I can't see any more self-confidence than I see now. <laughs> okay. So, but now they come to where, okay, well, John, you know, we're going to, uh, we're going to bring in another county manager. Because I just knew I was getting a job. Right. Okay? We're bringing in another county manager, and we want you to train him. Great, you're going to train this, your boss. That doesn't work out well. Uh, you know, so, he, so now they bring in this white guy. They want me to train him to do my job. And you know, it's like, no, 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 I, 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 I can't do this. Right. I, I, I. But now, mind you, they done sent me to school and paid for everything. I got the car, the dog, the house, the whole bit. So can I afford to quit? Not really. And And they knew that I was like really kind of a, you know, I'm kind of an easy kind of guy that, and it, there's no way that you are going to quit. How you, you know, what about your cost of living? What right. about your living and so forth? So, you know, and we want you to train this guy and, you know, it's like, no, I'm not doing it. If you bring a guy in, I, I'm not going to train anybody to do my job. So, you know, a week or two go by and, uh, and now by, by this time, uh, I sent my wife back. You know, mind you, I'm only like about 20 or so at the time, 19 wow. or 20. I got all, I got car, house, all this at an early age. Okay, so I sent my wife back to Las Vegas, back for the mom. Okay, because if they do this, I am going to quit. Okay, 
they don't they don't they don't believe that I'm going to quit they, because you're too comfortable. Yes, exactly. But and they did it, and because I told them I wasn't training this guy to be my boss, uh, and uh, I quit. You know, there's there's an old saying by George Bernard Shaw, and I'm I, I'm I'm I know I'm saying it not exactly the way he wrote it, but it's the the world lives with reasonable men, and reasonable men always follow the rules. An unreasonable man breaks the rules. As such, the only progress we can have in society is with the unreasonable man. And they never expected you to be unreasonable because they gave you all these comforts. They never expected exactly. you to leave the Baccarat table. Well, first of all, it was like, they don't, they don't send me to school, they don't pay for everything. You know, I mean, it's yeah. like, you got to be happy here, you know. I mean, and I was. I, I, and, and you I, said thank you. First of all, <laughs> you know, one of the things that uh, we could drink beer on the job. They, they wanted you to drink this good money. We work for a brewery. We got, I, we got beer machines right next to you where you're working at. When you go I, on your I, break, I, they want you to go in down to the, the, where they have the guests to come. And drink beer on your breaks. I'm a liver specialist. Don't <laughs> tell me that, okay? John, it has been such a pleasure and an honor to have you on this show. And I, and I got to tell you, your conversation is so enticing that we've gone way over our time oh, limit. Because it was about 20 minutes ago, she's going, you got three I, minutes. I haven't you got, got three to the meat of it. Because you right. got to you 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 tell the story. That now that they didn't hire, now that they brought this guy in, okay? So when you think about okay, this has it. happened to blacks all over America, the same thing to where they they uh, they it, they doing the job, they know how to do the job, but they didn't brought a white guy in to train to, for them to do the, to take your place. And you, and you came back to Las Vegas, became a Bachrock dealer in spite right. of having a degree in accounting. Exactly. So See? you were the best educated Bachrock right, dealer right. in the world. Yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, and that's one of the things that kind of... Uh, here, let's do it this way. <laughs> I'm going to invite you back. Your storytelling motivates people. And I can see why you're doing economic development in the historic West Side, because you're, you're just not anybody that's going to, well, I'm going to retire. I don't think that's ever going to happen. And I'm really glad that's never going to happen, because society makes it better. And i got to tell you something else. It's the pleasure of meeting an individual like you that makes at least my wife and myself, our journey across this country to come to Las Vegas. Yeah, okay. You know, and we get to meet individuals like you. And it's individuals like John that make our society and our community here in Las Vegas so special and so different than the rest of the United States. I'd like to thank you for everything you've done. I want to thank you for being on this show, but I also want to remind you you're coming back. <laughs> and you're going to speak to the med students, okay? Uh, okay, I'll, I'll do that. I, you know, I enjoy now uh, talking with people, sharing the different stories. They, they told me I need to be writing a book, but you, you know, should be writing that's, a book. That's because there's a no, lot you know that we we, didn't, we haven't really covered. No, we we we, we <laughs> no, we'll cover it well, because people need to see your enthusiasm. What you've gone through, you've gone through some through some of the most horrific historic times in this country, and you've come out with a smile. Not only do you have a smile, you're doing this for future generations. What you do is so much more than we do in medicine. You give people a future. Because you. one of the things that you look out for is that Jackson Avenue piece. Remember now, I told you that was the Cove, the Carver House, the Cotton Bowl, the 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 uh, 
the Louisiana Club, the Town Tavern, the, the Brown Derby, all of these places was right there in that community. And now what I've got my mindset on, you know, of course, Houdin built 140,000 square foot of shopping center called, in his name, Edmund Town Center. Yeah. Houdin took a shopping center that was, that was burnt up and destroyed and, and made it now a nice flourishing property on the side. But now I'm going after Jackson Street. Well, we're where, gonna be there together where, with the, the Wellness Center. Where Rosemont is it, talking about, it. you know, creating the the the, the, the Wellness the, Center there. Yes, have our students there, and you guys take his lead. Our society, our community is ours to make better. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe, like, and comment on your favorite podcast platform. If you'd like to support the groundbreaking work that Dr. Greer is doing at the Roseman University College of Medicine, please donate at the link below. Thanks for tuning in to No Laughing Matter with Cuba Pete, as together we work to unite the heart and science of healthcare to serve all in our communities. See you next time.